From the eternal, shiny, and chrome halls of Valhalla, it's the Digigods. And now, please witness a war boy and his doof warrior as they die historic on the Fury Road. Mark Heiser and Wade Major. Oh, there's a little backstory to how Corey is uh, saying that. Corey, who, uh, do you have something to say? Uh, excuse me, but you only used 14 of mine this year. <laughs> that was... So here's a story on that. Uh, this is for Mario, Mario Mendez. Uh, so Mario sent in quite, quite a lot of intros, which we recorded. And in addition to all of Mario's, uh, there were, I think, there, there were something like eight or nine or ten that were Fury Road <laughs> references. So this one was like one of the last ones we recorded, and Corey was <laughs> very exasperated. With the fact that everybody was referencing Fury Road. So I thought that would be funny. Well, that movie won, you know, six Oscars. Whatever. I, it's, and it was, it, look, I mean, a Mad Max reboot, uh, 30-some-odd, nearly 40 years after the fact, gets like a gob of Oscar nominations. When has that ever happened before? I'm just afraid that nobody is talking sequel. Well, no, they, they are. George Miller is. But it would be on his terms. It's not like... Uh, well, he's 70, okay? He's, yeah, he's running out of but terms. you met him you know, at our dinner. He's, he's like 70. He is the coolest he's, guy ever. He's like 70 going on 49. He is. It, there's nothing 70 about that guy. He's got the cool black room glasses. He's got the leather jacket. He's the man. He's the whole attitude. But you, just, you meet him. You're not talking to a 70-year-old dude. You're talking to a guy. I mean, I felt like I was talking to somebody my age, you know? Well, you are old. Yeah, yeah. So in any case... Uh, Speaking of books from uh, speaking of uh, uh, old directors, now Scorsese, yes, he's got a, a new film. He finally lined up financing for. And Did they can, finally get the get the money for that thing? For the Irishman. Oh my god! This is an actual dream pairing, not righteous kill no. dream pairing, not one scene in the heat dream <laughs> not, pairing, not, not, of, not Avi Lerner dream pairing. No, of De Niro and yeah. Pacino. Yeah, and I have to say that I'm currently reading the book. Is, how is it? The uh, the book is called I Heard You Paint Houses. Yeah, and it is about uh, it is a biography told in the uh, in the in the first person. It's, yeah. it's it's just a big oral history told by this guy who killed Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, he is the one responsible for killing Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, and you're ten pages into this book, and you just think to yourself, "This is Goodfellas." Remember the the Ray Liotta? He yeah. gave all the narration. Yeah. I always want to be a gangster. Yeah, that's exactly who this guy uh, Frank yeah. Sheeran was. Yeah, he. Wanted to be, and he, he's telling you the story about uh, loan sharking after he got out of the service, and you know stealing meat from the local food fair. It's just it's right. just got Goodfellas written all over it. Well, I'm dying to see it, and I think The Irishman is a better title than uh, what, what what's the, the I know you. I heard saw you the, paint houses. I heard you. Paint well, houses. I heard you paint houses. That's that's mafia speak for I heard you kill people. Yeah. Which is usually or sometimes followed up by you. I no. I follow, sometimes followed up by um, I'm I. Uh, I'm also a carpenter, yeah, that's meaning great. that I also yeah. build. I, I also make coffins, so I I, I I'll I will kill the body and I will get rid of the body. So if you, you paint houses and you're into carpentry, you explain that to the head of marketing that that's the, what's going to go on the on the one sheet. You you make that pitch. Well, the, his uh, 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 Frank Sheeran's nickname was the Irishman. Yeah, well, that's and that and that's better. I like that a lot. Uh, so speaking of a little bit of housekeeping, so um, email us, uh, send us Vox boxes, any audio format, whatever you want to do. 
gods at digigods.com is always the place to reach us. And um, we will not have a show next week. Next week is uh, is going to be a hiatus for the uh, 4th of July weekend. Nice long weekend. We're going to uh, take it off, and, and I'm, I'm probably going to take my daughter to a parade or something. I'm going to a Dodger Stadium sweet night. Nice. Yes, every year. Now, a, a friend of mine. You eat sweets? Oh, I will, believe me. Yeah. I'll eat everything. Yeah. A friend of mine, his his father is the late Howard West. Howard West was one of the executive producers of Seinfeld. Every single episode of Seinfeld right. at the end says George Shapiro and Howard West. Every single episode. And so I know Howard West's son. Very nice. And Howard West has two, who recently, recently passed away, mm-hmm. Howard had two sets of season tickets. Nice. Because he was, he was incredibly rich. And so anyway, so because he has two sets of season tickets, one of the perks is that he gets for him, of course, he's passed away, unfortunately, now his son gets it, uh, one a, a night at a Dodger Stadium suite. Well, that's pretty nice. So the son, who I don't talk to any more than once yeah. or twice a year, but he gathers 30 friends and we all go to suite night and literally it's just so much fun. We just eat eat hot dogs and around the around the fifth or sixth inning, you know, you know what they bring around to what all the suites? No. The dessert cart. Oh. And they bring the cart, they knock you know, on the door, and they open up the door, and there's the dessert ev- cart. Every time I've ever been invited to a suite at Staples Center, uh, that's the only reason I, I really have any interest. I mean, you know, if it was for like a Laker game, for sure. If it was for a Kings game, really, I don't give much of a crap about hockey. But I will go just for the dessert tray because they had a Snickers cheesecake. You know what they all oh. have? They all have. Oh, no, this dessert card is good stuff. And there's so much food. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ross. And then I get to hear Vince (laughs) Scully, who's losing it, by the way. Vince Scully, God love him, but he's really losing it. Well, this is his last season, right? He has been with the – now, for those who listen to the uh, uh, podcast maybe overseas or don't care, Vince Scully is the voice of the L.A. Dodgers. He has been the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, ladies and gentlemen, for 67 years. Amazing. He replaced the uh, legendary Red Barber yeah. uh, 67 years ago. And Vinny has had that job for 67 years. He's 88. Unreal. It's incredible. And he's retiring this year. Incredible run. They will never, I mean, the, 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 for some of us. 67 years as the voice of the Dodgers. You know, and it makes me sad because my daughter will grow up not really understanding what it meant to be in Los Angeles when Vin Scully and Chick Hearn were the only voices for those two sports teams. That was it. Right, Chick Hearn, Chick Hearn was the voice of the Lakers for yeah, decades. forever, for decades. It's just 67 a, years. That's amazing. He has been the voice yeah, of the Dodgers. That's awesome. Well. He's retiring. And he's losing it, by the way. He's 88 years old. And okay. actually, I, I, I just played you an audio you file. You did. It's really funny. There's, there's, a, there's a, a picture for the Dodgers named Clayton Kershaw, and there's a picture for the Nationals named um, Steven Strasburg. Yeah. So uh, Vinny was previewing the game and he was supposed to say that it's an amazing pitching matchup between Clayton Kershaw and Steven Strasburg. Unfortunately, Vinny, who's 88 years old and God love him, he's retiring at just the right moment, wound up saying it's a great pitching matchup between Clayton Kershaw and Steven Spielberg. Oh, that's great. And, and on that note, have you seen the BFD? I have. Yeah. Have you seen it? The BFD? No. Have you seen the BFG? Oh, oh, is that what it is? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I get them confused. You know, somehow that was a beloved book that I'd never heard of. Uh, yeah, it's Roald Dahl. Most of, most of Roald Dahl's stuff doesn't really get read by kids here for some reason. I guess it's, you know, you have to be European. Like or Hans Christian Andersen or something? Yeah, something like that. Uh, but, uh, I, I did see it. Did you like it? Um, <laughs> okay. Well, that answers the question. You know what? I, I, I think I might have emailed you that. I, I felt like he was remaking E.T., but he left the, he, he left the magic dust at home. Yeah. Somehow it felt very... CGI. Uh, 
It was, but you know that that guy, what's his yeah. name, uh, Mark Rylance, he's yeah. great. But it felt very wordy and literal. It didn't really have the magic. I don't know. Uh, I, I, Melissa Matheson, of course, the late Melissa Matheson did the adaptation. Yeah. Um, but you know what it is when when you're so absorbed in the CGI. Yeah. You're not. That's that. That's that's the priority. Yeah. When something is so CGI, you don't care about the magic. You don't care about the characters. Now yeah. the girl is great. The girl is so cute and charming. She's wonderful. And Rylance is good in it too. But I, you know what it is. At the end, I didn't really know what it not what it was about, but what is the theme that this movie is pushing? What is the point yeah. that that dreams are wonderful? It just didn't seem to say much to me. Yeah, did, well, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Have not seen it, but uh, I did see freaking Dory. My daughter cannot stop talking about Dory. It's Dory, 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 nonstop Dory all the time. Show me pictures of Dory on your phone. Where's Dory? Show me more video of Dory. It's insane. Lame. So they went to while I while I was doing some writing today. They went and saw Dory for a second time, and now it's even worse than before. Uh, and it's making a ridiculous amount of money and uh, cleaning up. By the way, uh, before we get into DVDs and Blu-rays, do you realize that it is entirely possible with the with Euro? Your, I know you're paying a great deal of attention to Euro, uh, the Euro. Uh, yes, I the, am. Do you realize it is it is possible? It is theoretically possible for the final in the Euro Championship to be Iceland versus Wales. Mm. You realize that? Mm. Iceland what? defeated England today. What? Iceland eliminated England. Wayne Rooney, booted. I, I don't know what Gone. That, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Let's uh, let's get into some uh, some movie things. Um, you know what? I want to uh, I want to hit off some. Uh, While well, you're you're decompressing, I'm going to hit some uh, foreign language titles that have accumulated a little bit. From Wolf, we have Margarita with a Straw. Which is a, a an unusual Indian film. Uh, I have some mixed feelings about this, but they I guess they're somewhat positive. It's a little bit maudlin and saccharine, to be honest. This thing is, um, but um, it, I, it, on a certain level, it's okay. This is basically uh, an Indian film about a young woman, a young handicapped woman, who suffers from uh, cerebral palsy. And uh, who undergoes a sort of a sexual discovery and awakening and a coming of age and all of this stuff. And it, you know, doesn't sit well with her Indian family and so forth and so on. And, and uh, it is, again, it's, it's, it's a little bit on the maudlin side. It's like a lot of those movies about handicapped people. But uh, it is, its heart is in the right place. And um, it, written and directed by... Um, Shanali Rose, and it stars uh, Kalki Coquelin. Now, the part of the problem with the film is that Kalki Coquelin, who is a very uh, popular actress in India, is not really Indian. Uh, she's she's Caucasian. Her parents are uh, were a uh, were uh, German, and uh, she grew up in India, and uh, basically stayed there. And she's you know fluent in in Hindi and. She is an actress in Indian movies, and she basically plays Indian, even though she clearly is not. So if that's a hurdle for you, then it's probably going to be a problem. But otherwise, it's not really that big of a hurdle. The film was at uh, Toronto and got pretty uh, pretty good co- uh, reaction. Uh, Coquelin is is quite good in the part. Um, she's a very, very good actress. It's just, you know, it's not a perfect film. It's got a few problems. Uh, we also have Cemetery of Splendor by Joe, Mark. I dare Joe? you! I dare you to give me Joe's full name. Uh, you know what? Hang on. Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's a Prathina Prumrong or something. Wait, what is it? Apichitpong Wirasikapol. Yeah, it's yes. Yeah. You know why the the last name is easier to pronounce because it has a certain uh, rhythm to it. Yeah. 
but you got to get into it. Anyway, uh, he won the Palme d'Or at Cannes some years ago, uh, the first uh, Thai filmmaker to do so. And very deservedly, this is um, Cemetery of Splendor. It is typically kind of obtuse, uh, as his films often are, and uh, kind of nonlinear and odd and strange. Um, but it, it's still very, very compelling and magical and, and has a lot of really interesting uh, twists and turns to it. It's not the best film he's ever done, but it, it's very, very good. And it includes uh, a short film, which is not much of a short film. It's about an hour long, deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, the trailer. But the, the story is perfectly fine. Uh, you know, it, it deals with soldiers and this sleeping sickness and... Uh, it gets into the kind of a weird mythical detour, and um, you know you should you should check it out. It's worth checking out. So that's on on Blu-ray from Strand, one of Strand's few uh, intermittent Blu-rays. And then we also have uh, Aferum. Did you ever see Aferum, Mark? Did I did not. This? Oh I my did gosh, not. this is so good. One of the best films I've seen this year. Um, this is an amazing movie. This is from uh, Big World Pictures on Blu-ray. This is a uh, a fascinating Romanian film, a, a Romanian period film, takes place in 1835, all shot in black and white. And it's, it's about, it, it deals with the kind of the weird feudal structure of the time. They, there's there's a, effectively, a, I, I shouldn't even say an escaped slave, but it's true because serfs at that time were slaves and they're referred to in the film as slaves. And a lot of people I don't think realize in like, you know, that part of the 1800s, in the early 1800s, we had slavery here, but they had slavery in Europe, too, in places. In Romania, there's slavery. Uh, in any case, there is, uh, it's basically about this, um, this policeman who has to go looking for an escaped slave and what happens along the way. And it is, uh, it is, it is fascinating. And the look at the culture and the, the, uh, all the ins and outs of, of all that, it's really, really an incredibly compelling film. Beautiful on Blu-ray. The, uh, the black and white is spectacular. film is Aferim, A-F-E-R-I-M, exclamation point. And it includes uh, Rade Yuda's Sundance winning short film, The Tube with a Hat, from 10 years ago. Absolutely superb, superb film, Aferim. Uh, high, highly, highly, uh, highly recommended. Uh, from Cohen who is having me do all kinds of uh, commentaries lately, which makes me very happy, um, is the new Nicole Garcia film, Going Away. Um, are you familiar with Nicole Garcia? you ever seen any of her stuff? About 30, uh, well, I don't know how many years ago it was, I worked with a girl named Nicole Garcia, uh-huh. and she was so hot. We all had a crush on her. Are you serious? Yes. It's probably not that Nicole Garcia. Yeah, no. It's but not. there was a Nicole Garcia that I used to work uh, with, and she was completely hot. Uh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, uh, this Nicole this Nicole Garcia is a very very fine French filmmaker. Uh, this is not available on Blu-ray, which I find rather sad because it's a gorgeous film. So I'm not sure uh, what calculation Cohen made uh, to not do that. But um, in any case, it is um, it's just a pretty much a, a really solid, straightforward French drama, and uh, deals with uh, certain family issues. It all kind of starts with uh, you know a, a teacher named Baptiste. Um, who's living in the south of France, and um, some interesting familial and uh, character relationships. Not no, no real easy way to get into it, but it's one of those typical kind of very French character pieces. Worth checking out. Nicole Garcia is a very fine filmmaker. That's called Going Away. Let me get through these as quickly as possible. Uh, the Wave, uh, really actually a much better film than I thought it would be. I'm kind of amazed by this. The Wave is uh, from Magnolia. This did a huge business in Norway. Um, 
it is. Uh, it, I'm not quite sure how to set this up. There, there are. Um, this is basically a Hollywood action film audition. Okay, that's that. That was the odd part. You know, it, I didn't you, expect you, much out of it, but it was surprisingly effective. It, it, well, it's really, really effective. I mean, uh, it, it's very clear that, uh, that these people decided, okay, we're going to just make this unbelievable, like kick-ass Norwegian action film and when we get it to Hollywood they're not going to believe what we did or how much we spent on it or what we were able to do but Absolutely. It really, it, isn't that totally what it is yeah it's good it's like, like hand me a you know hand me a disaster film let me be the next Roland Emmerich and, or whatever the case may be but well uh, I'm not sure I'm, I don't know who wants to be Roland Emmerich today yeah because uh, you know Independence Day Resurgence you know yeah yeah exactly kind of sad isn't it Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to put Roar Otang or however the guy's name is pronounced. But anyway, he just he kills it in this thing. I mean, he is, it, is a, uh, it is a really, really well-directed film. The idea basically centers around um, the fjords in Norway. And, I mean, tell me if I'm getting this, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm confusing people. But in the fjords, right, you can, if, if there's a, enough of an earthquake, it can create a, a tsunami right there's like it's the same here i mean when 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 the big one comes to la people are by the ocean like let's say you yeah might be swept away by the resulting well in here it's like away. it's like the idea i don't even know how to geo uh, how to geologically explain this it's like like the water gets sucked out of the fjord right right and then it comes back in like 150 feet higher and any low-lying villages will just get completely buried. So when this happens and all the meters go off, this guy who it's always like the last day at work, right? It's always the it's the he Danny has six Cla- hours of retirement. He's like got six hours of retirement. It's such a stupid old trope, but they keep using it. And and uh, you know he's got his family, and suddenly he thinks, oh, I'm getting transferred, and it's great, and goodbye, and it work. And then next thing you know, doot, 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 the alarms go off, and people are calling him. They're like, we we don't think this is uh, and we think this is the one. And next thing you know, he's got it. He's got to get everybody up, and people have to get saved, and the family is trapped, and the, and the his wife's in the hotel with the kids in the basement, and the kids got the headphones on. It's a pretty amazing movie, right? Yeah, it's great. All the all the water stuff, a lot of set pieces. It's it's good. It's good. It's solid. Still feels like a Hollywood resume piece, but they really pull it off. It's quite a it's quite impressive filmmaking. It really is. So uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's the wave on Blu-ray with a nice lenticular cover, uh, f- inspired by true events, which is just a completely ridiculous thing. There's never been such a thing ever happening. When they say true events, that that means like. There was a guy who was a geologist just once, and he thought this might happen. <laughs> well, it was inspired by true. Well, it's in, it's inspired. There was actually, we should, I should say this. There was actually one in like they, which they talk about in the film. There was such a a tsunami that was like what uh, in, in 1920, 1910, something like that. Yeah, that's it's uh, that's it. Basically, what they're saying is it's based on an idea made up by the writer. Yeah, exactly. And from Oscilloscope on Blu-ray, gosh, another amazing black-and-white movie. This is the week for it. Uh, the Oscar-nominated Embrace of the Serpent. You saw this, I hope. Embrace of the Serpent? Did you see this? No. Fascinating movie. Really amazing. Um, not really magical realism, but very haunting, because I'm not really a fan of magical realism, but really super awesome, haunting, cool film. Uh, the story here, it takes place, there are two, two stories that are kind of, um, that sort of parallel each other, one in the present day and, and one in the past. And the, uh, the, um, the Indian figure in it, the, uh, Native American or the Native South American figure, uh, the, he's kind of a shaman like figure. It's the same guy in both, in both stories. You know, the idea being that either he's immortal or he ages very slowly. Um, any case it is, uh, it is a, it is a Deeply, deeply cool and intriguing movie. 
Um, again, also a little bit difficult to explain. It, the, 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 the main story that takes place in the past is about an American explorer who is you know, going down the Amazon for, to, to you know, perform all kinds of research and um, a, a, what, how, he, how he interfaces with the, with the Amazonian tribes and what it entails for him. And it starts to feel very apocalypse now at a certain point, very... Uh, when you uh, said Amazonian tribes, I was hoping maybe Wonder Woman would show up. No, no. I was okay, hoping so, no, too. But No, yeah. I'm, I'm checked out then. Anyway, uh, really a really fascinating film. Uh, a lot of people have kind of said that this deal, this is sort of addresses the, uh, the, the, the wages of colonialism and whatnot. I think that's part of it, but I think more than anything, it's, uh, it, it's really, t- it's an existential journey movie, very much, and it really borrows a lot, obviously, from Conrad and, and um, you know. Robert it, Conrad? Yes, exactly. Baba Black Sheep. That's it. Yes. Um, yeah, it, 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 it borrows a lot from Conrad, hence all of the, uh, the Apocalypse Now kind of stuff. But it's just really beautifully done. Really a magnificent film. So uh, Embrace the Serpent, Oscar nominated. Definitely check that out. Beautiful black and white. And then a few more things here to wrap this out. Uh, the Danish film A War which uh, is also worth checking out. This is uh, from the same people who made the... Um, the a hi, a hi, what are you doing? A you piece. Just dropped, you just dropped your going. No, a hijacking. From the same people that made uh, a hijacking, uh, Tobias uh, Lindholm, and, uh, who wrote and directed it. Um, it. I think I like a hijacking better, to be honest, but this as a look at uh, Danish soldiers serving in Afghanistan and uh, the commander in particular and what he goes through and how he kind of gets into trouble in one particular incident. And uh, it's all quite compelling. It's, it's pretty solid. So uh, Tobias Lindholm is, uh, is definitely a uh, director to watch. And uh, last few films here, we've got, uh, let's see, Gold. From the uh, Kino F- F.W. Murnau line, this is um, a, a rather brilliant 1934 German expressionist movie uh, produced by Alfred Zeisler, one of the great producers of the day, directed by Carl Hartl. Uh, again, this is from the Murnau series. Murnau did not make this, but it is, uh, it's from the Murnau Library, made, made by the uh, UFA studios of the time. And uh, a rather amazing early sound thriller uh, from the German uh, film industry of the 1930s. Uh, pretty amazing. It's got all that, uh, all that expressionistic stuff. Has kind of a metropolis feel to it in places. Um, really amazing. Uh, definitely worth checking out. This is a, a must-have for your library if you want to get any of those uh, classic silence or early sounds. So uh, gold. A nice, uh, nice release. And then uh, let's see. Uh, I'll, you know what? I'll, ma- I'll make mention of those at the end of the show. Whoa, wait! Throwing a curve. Yeah, throwing a curve. If we have a little bit of time, let's get into some new movies. Uh, no, we can do Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Boo! I hated this movie. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, a uh, movie that uh, Wade did not like and uh, disappointed me. It was directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, who two directors I like. Um, I like what they did with uh, they. They were the guys who wrote Bad Santa. Uh, they uh, did a very poor job directing um, the Bad News Bears remake, yeah. but they did direct um, I Love You, Phil Mars, which <laughs> I love that movie. hate that movie, too. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Anyway, let's see uh, Tango Foxtrot. Uh, this is a comedy, and it is uh, based on a true story. A journalist named Kim Barker. Uh, it's based on her memoir called The Taliban Shuffle, Strange Days in Afghanistan and Pakistan. 
And my issue with this film is that uh, it does start Tina Fey as um, as uh, Kim, but uh, and you can't beat her. My problem with the film is that it didn't quite know what it wanted to be. You know, when you when you look at a movie like Mash, that so effortlessly blends pathos and comedy catch and 22. war and catch, 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 catch twenty catch twenty two yeah. is like even more absurdist. Three Kings, Three Kings, which right? is a terrific film. Yeah, the movies that do that effectively, there are a lot of them. This just never gets the tone right. This never gets the tone right. Never you know, I, I I don't know whether it's it's supposed to be a comedy that's a dramatic yeah, or a know. drama that's supposed to be funny. I just feel like this thing was all over the place and it it's disappointing. You know, yeah. uh, I still think that these guys have talent, but in the end, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, um, you know, it just yeah. cannot really blend the humor and the sense and the character as well as it should. I would agree completely. Well, um, thank you, Wade. Yeah. You know, uh, Eye in the Sky, pretty cool, actually. I'm, I was uh, surprised at how good this was because I'm getting a little bit tired of, uh, you know, the movies that are, uh, all, you know, everything pertaining to the war on terror and war in the Middle East and the, the, the dilemma of now of using drones and, you know, is it legal, is it moral, and all of that is just... There's an awful lot of sort of preachiness and hand-wringing that goes on and makes it to any of these movies, and you feel like nobody really wants to tell me a story. But uh, Eye on the Sky actually does. does a very, very good job of it with a tremendous cast, the late Alan Rickman. Gosh, I'm going to miss him. Um, Helen Mirren in a tremendous performance, and Aaron Paul, who uh, continues to do really, really good work in everything that he does. Um, Helen Mirren plays a uh, British colonel in this one and does it very effectively, which I never would have imagined her as part of a colonel. But uh, the uh, the idea is about it takes place basically in Kenya or remotely in Kenya, and uh, what you how to how, the involvement of uh, drone pilots and drones uh, that are brought in to basically uh, stop the terrorist attack that they have received intelligence is about to happen. Um, the uh, the, the, the unfortunate thing here is that Barkad Abdi, who got an Oscar nomination for Captain Phillips, shows up here basically in a role which makes me think that he's pretty much going to be playing terrorists or playing parts in terrorist-related movies for the rest of his career. Yes. Okay, he is not a romantic leading man. <laughs> well, okay, have you seen him? Yes. Do you know what he looks like? Yes. God but... love him, but I'm just saying <laughs> there is only one thing that guy can do. Oh. I mean, maybe he'll show up in like... Full prosthetics and some alien makeup or something, but yeah. that guy is not going to be making out with uh, Angelina yeah. Jolie anytime soon. I guess I'd like to. I don't see know him why it's Angelina Jolie. I'd like to see him have a more diverse career, to be honest. But in any case, um, what are you going to what are you going to put that guy? In? I don't. You know what? I'll find something. I'll find something. You'll, for you'll him. write a movie for him. I'll write a movie for him. Damn it! I'll make something. I'll make something happen for that guy because I like him. He's a really good actor. He's got a great. Uh, he's, he's talented. He is. And he's a non-actor. You know, he just has a raw, naked talent that. Ew! I don't see him naked. I do well, not anyway, want to see him naked. Anyway, uh, so uh, Aaron Paul plays the American uh, drone pilot in this, which who who sort of you know sets everything on fire. I don't I don't necessarily think that this is better than the Andrew Nichol film uh, that sort of dealt with a lot of the same stuff. What happened to that guy? He's still around. He's, he's got some new film that's uh, that's kind of a big deal. He does. Yeah, uh, I forget what it is. I'm gonna look it up right now. Look it up. Look it up. Uh, no, it's not the so in any case, the Andrew Nichol film, uh Good Kill with Ethan Hawke, I think does a better job of dealing with these issues in a, in in like a less sort of obviously Hollywood way, but this still is really, really good. And uh, this is out on Blu-ray and DVD with uh, Ultraviolet from the uh, good people at Universal. Uh, Bleecker Street released it theatrically. Universal is releasing it uh, on video for Bleecker Street. Uh, Eye in the Sky, Helen Mirren, Alan Rickman, and Aaron Paul, the wonderful Alan Rickman. Gosh, he's just, I still can't handle that he's gone. 
I know it's, it really it's bad me. news. It, is, it was me. bad news. Yeah, it's been a bad year. <laughs> and speaking, actually, let me before you jump into that. Let me. What are you doing? You're making all kinds of noise with the mic. I'm sorry. Uh, speaking of a bad year, Sally Field in Hello, My Name is Doris. Oh, my goodness. They didn't have a Blu-ray to send us, so they only sent us the DVD. And I must say, I don't, I, 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 I can't tell you if this becomes a better movie on Blu-ray, but I would, I would be shocked if it did. Uh, this includes commentary, deleted scenes, and an alternate opening. I don't think any of that makes a difference. Uh, the poor Sally Field plays this odd, sad, frumpy... Uh, you know, cubicle drone lady who falls in love with her hot new boss and decides she's just going to cut loose and live life and see if she can't just reinvent her life by attracting the this, this hot dude. And um, there are all kinds of poignant things that uh, it tries to say. Michael Showalter is the uh, is the director here. There are all kinds of poignant things it tries to say about aging and coming out of your shell and you know, being a being a uh, being a uh, sounds a, like a, a British ho- film. Being like, a hoarder and all these other it things sounds like but, a British film. If it starred uh, like you know, I don't know, Helen Mirren or Melda Staunton or some, or Jennifer just, Saunders, you'd probably just, be cracking up. Look at the big bow in it's, her hair. I know it's it's, so... it's it's called I'm seventy and uh, have not been asked to top line a film in in yeah. twenty years, and this is the best I can do. Hello, my name is Doris. I did. I found it so sad and depressing. You love it. Who's talking next? You, you, you go ahead. Fire away. <laughs> go at it. Have at it. Uh, next is the surprisingly okay Kung Fu Panda 3. You know, I have to say that a lot of these, um, a lot of these animated films are good. Mm-hmm. Pixar films are good. I don't, I don't, I don't like I'm them. not a huge fan of the Kung Fu Panda no, I'm not. series. Can't, um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It does. It's, it's not my favorite, but I'm I, am, but I, I will say, huh? I'm amazed it's gotten to three in that series. But anyway, I, I will say though, this one is, uh, it's, you know what? I, I enjoy the character. He's this bumbling guy who, you know, it, the reason I think Poe resonates with people who of that age is that he's trying to do the best he can. He's a bumbling guy who finds his true heroism and his true power and I think that resonates with with young kids who watch these things. And uh, I got to say, you know, it's um, it looks good. Uh, it doesn't ignore the adults in terms of you know making sure they don't fall asleep. And I think this thing's well crafted. Again, it's not my favorite animated series, but um, I I would normally think that Kung Fu Panda Three would be a bunch of crap. But um, I, it's pretty good, colorful, funny, you know, a little bit moving. I get it, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Bruce Willis. I don't. What the hell happened to Bruce Willis? Uh, you know. You know, he's, Bruce he's Willis doing, film. He's used to doing mean anything now. He. I just. I mean, he does he's all. He does, He's doing all this straight to DVD, straight to Blu-ray yeah. crap. I apart don't from apart from Looper, he has not really done an A film in like five, six, seven years. No, it's just Crazy. terrible. I know. Anyway, uh, in Precious Cargo, uh, he plays. Uh, he plays a, a, a crime boss. Um, and he hunts down the thief who, who, you know, double crossed him and the thief is played by Claire Forlani. And, um, there was a day when Claire Forlani <laughs> still love Claire Forlani. Huh? I love Claire Forlani. You know, actually I have a friend who slept with Claire Forlani. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you his initials. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say this. Yes. Uh, really? Okay. All right. You, you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
That's the... he he he's had a thing. He, I'll tell you, is uh, uh, Z. He's yeah, really? done a whole thing. Okay, he he's had a life, a life <laughs> that I have not had. I think I'm gonna the life be... it is too late for me to have. I think I'm gonna be getting on the phone tomorrow to get that story. <laughs> uh, that story is like you know probably 25 years old. That's fine. Better when she's 30 than when she's 55. You know what? I uh, well because you know Claire Falani was also in uh, that Jackie Chan movie. Star Wars? Uh, title of which I'm forgetting. The, uh, the, the, the the gift, the thing, the thing, whatever. Anyway, it was Jackie Chan movie that my wife actually worked on. So, uh, and I, I remember seeing the, I, I saw a number of early cuts that it just, uh, well, I, w- I won't get into all the drama, but that, that, that thing changed like 87 times. Okay, that story is not as good as my friend no, Stephen Clairvaux line. No, I know. I wasn't, I didn't intend for it to be. I'm sorry. Would you like me to bore you some more? Oh, oh, believe me, we've been doing this podcast for years. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to tell you. First of all, some of the funniest stuff I have seen in in months, in months. You know, my daughter, of course, loves Peppa Pig. We all know this, right? So the guys who created Peppa Pig, they have another series which they created after Peppa Pig, which is uh, Ben and Holly's Little Kingdom. Ben and Holly. Ben is an elf. Holly is a is a fairy. And, you know, fairies and elves have this wonderful little kingdom together. They like to be called okay. gay. They don't like to be okay. called fairies. There is there are episodes of Ben and Holly's Little Kingdom where the gnomes show up, and the gnomes are a little bit bigger. And they, they honestly, I kid you not, this is some of the best British comedy I have ever ever seen. The gnomes are so irritating. They talk forever. They they never go away. And this one gnome, it's the it, it, every time he opens his mouth, I just sit there. I'm literally in tears. And my daughter thinks I'm crazy because she doesn't understand why I'm laughing so hard. I know an interesting story about sticks. Yep, it just checking doesn't my, get any better than that. Checking my phone, Wade. Checking my phone. Okay, never mind. By the way, speaking of checking my phone, um, I don't know what that meant. Uh, the uh, final Star Trek trailer came out today. Yeah, how did it look? I, could, I saw that it came, and I was so not interested. I just said, I bet Mark will tell me, and I won't need to watch it. You know what's interesting is that you can tell that Paramount is a did they Did they do this the, the, the Tarzan thing? Uh-huh. Have, you, have you paid attention to the, the, the Tarzan first trailer and then the Tarzan second trailer? No. What, what, what piece of garbage that movie looks yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. This is the difference. This is the difference between the two Tarzan trailers. Um, Sam Jackson. All over the first one, right. non-existent in the second one. Really? Cut out completely. Gone. No Sam Jackson The only reason I would see it. I, but I, but it, he's terrible in the first one. Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. It's like, what movie did you just walk in from? Are you playing the character from Pulp Fiction? What is this? Blame this the is, director. It's horrible. Okay. Why is he in that movie? Why does Sam Jackson have to be in every blockbuster? Who at Paramount said, Tarzan, good call. Let's make that. Uh. Um, anyway, so the Star Trek trailer does yes. two things that feel uh, desperate. Yes. One is the trailer includes uh, Liam Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the first one yeah. for like five seconds. Yeah. So you've got that shot of Liam Hemsworth, which yeah. probably tries to convince a bunch of, you know, let's say women yeah. who would never see a Star Trek film that, you know. Oh, because Chris Pine is that so ugly. Miley Cyrus, that Miley Cyrus's fiance. Yeah. Is in this movie, yeah. and the other thing they do is yeah. they it, it uh, the trailer is mm-hmm. uh, prominently features a I believe it's an old song, but it's new to this film uh, a, a song from Rihanna. Yeah, so there's Great. a Rihanna song written Fantastic. by Sia, uh, Sia, whatever her name okay. is, Sia. Yeah, and so the song premieres on the trailer. So you've got Liam Hemsworth and Rihanna mm-hmm. in the Star Trek trailer, which just says to me they're trying to lard this thing up. Yeah. with names. And music that'll appeal to the 18 to 34 kids who don't yeah. really want to see this movie. But if they figure Liam's in it and there's a Rihanna song over the end titles, maybe they'll check it out. 
So they made a second big fat Greek wedding, Mark. That's just terrible. My big fat Greek wedding. You know too. what? That it, that thing, that movie. It, it was a moment in time. Oh my! It, it was lighting in a bottle. It found its moment, and then you know that's how, it. The end. Do you know how long I fought not seeing that movie because there were so many people. It's it like people who the people in within my family circle and my wife's family circle, people who never go to see movies, who are of an older generation. They don't see movies. They watch Murder, She Wrote. They watch, you know... Ironside on MeTV? Yeah, exactly. I love MeTV. Yeah, they, they watch, you know, that's what they watch. And uh, and suddenly these people were saying to us, oh, you have to... Have you seen Big Fat Greek Wedding? You've got to see the Big Fat Greek Wedding. You just want to pinch that movie's cheeks, oh, don't you? Oh, you did just want to pinch... They love the movie. Oh, they loved it so much. And we just looked at each other and we were like, you know what? If they like this movie, we're not going to see this movie. And so I resisted seeing it for the longest time, and finally I caved because everybody had to see it. Oh, yeah, the Tom Hanks' wife is a Greek. Oh, yeah, I love it. Whatever. So, uh, fine, fair enough. It was uh, lightning in a bottle. Nia Vardalos, you know, had her moment. And now, uh, directed by Kirk Jones, written by Nia Vardalos, here, here comes a sequel way too long after the fact. They've got a daughter, and there's all the usual Greek shtick, and it's, just, it's the same junk all over again, except, in, in once again, produced by Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, all very well-intentioned. We love Greek people. It's wonderful. Uh, but, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that really, really uh, got me with this movie uh, is the fact that Lainey Kazan, who is a lovely woman, and I interviewed her years ago when she was performing at, uh, at some you know, barn grill in Hollywood and doing a lot of old standards, and she's a great singer and a lovely lady and very sincere. But I got to tell you, man, Lainey has had work done like beyond all human comprehension. It's almost like it, 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 she it's like CGI. It's crazy. I know. It, she doesn't look like herself anymore. Don't they realize that they don't look good? I don't. Bizarre. I just don't understand it. Anyway, you know what? God love her. She's wonderful, but that's so distracting in this movie and all the other shtick. It just gets old really quickly. So anyway, Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. Uh, it's got a gag reel and making of stuff, and it's a uh, DVD Blu-ray and ultraviolet. doesn't really matter. You can watch this thing streaming. It's not, it's not going to lose anything. Lost in translation. Anyway, okay. A uh, few last uh, titles here before we get to the big one. Uh, Vim Vendors keeps making movies. I've been on the set of many Vim Vendors films. My wife worked on a couple of them. We went to Cannes, saw one of them on the uh, 50th anniversary of the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Vim Vendors has been a part of my life in many respects. I know tons of people who've worked on many of his films. And that being said, and I, and I had the privilege of uh, moderating an event with Vim for uh, Wings of Desire a few years ago, where, which was wonderful. I love no, that movie so much. I have nothing but re- respect for Vim. I think he's, uh, I think he's a very talented, lovely man. But I have not loved all his movies. He has made stuff like Lisbon Story, which I just think is just this, this boring and philosophical, and in ways that I, it's just not entertaining. And then he's made stuff like uh, Till the End of the World, which I desperately hope the un- unexpurgated version eventually comes out on Blu-ray because that would be dazzling, wouldn't it? That's a big word. That's a big word. But until the end of the world, good movie, right? I mean, sure. I mean, the longer version is the one we all want to see because it's just a huge, sprawling thing. Anyway, um, Vim tends to make better documentaries than anything else, like uh, Buena Vista Social Club, which my wife worked on and which I adored dearly. But uh, this new one, Everything Will Be Fine, um, feels a little bit half-baked. Good cast. It includes uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg and James Franco and Marie-José Coz, who I really absolutely adore and always have. Um, uh, but uh, it, somehow the it feels like one of those half baked things. James Franco kind of sort of semi playing himself as this novelist, 
and uh, then there's this car accident, and you, you you know you set off on one of these kind of uh, 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 fearless, you know, like the Peter Weir film Fearless with sure. Jeff Bridges. It winds, Jeff Bridges. Up being, winds up being that kind of trajectory, right? You've had a near death experience, or you've you know almost died, and it kind of you know you you suddenly change your perspective on life and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that that doesn't is not handled, I don't think, in the most brilliant way. It feels a little bit undercooked. So I mean, it's still a Vim Vendor's film, but it's not going to win any awards like Can. Um, Mark, far away. Anesthesia stars uh, Glenn Close, Gretchen Maul, Tim Blake Nelson, who also wrote it and directed it, and uh, I Corey love Tim Stoll. Blake Nelson as a filmmaker. I really do. Yeah, I think I there's, like there's something interesting going on there. I I I wish his stuff would get a little bit more uh, mainstream play. Sam Watterson, who I've always loved, and uh, anyway, this film uh, is uh, not uh, great. Anyway, it's it's one of those you know what it is. It's one of those big sprawling narratives like Crash, which Wade loved and I hated, or um, uh, you know what's it called, Babel, 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 whatever. Oh, yeah, they Babel, or, or even like Magnolia, or even Magnolia. So right. all these disparate sure. stories sure. come together and intersect in um, <clears throat> surprising ways. Mm-hmm. It all takes place uh, in New York City, and it's the winter time, and there's a crime, and so you kind of you kind of get a sense of like all the things that happened to make this crime a reality. And Sam Waterston plays the uh, the university professor, and he's attacked on the street. And so you flash back one week, and you get a sense of everything that happened in the previous week that led up to this horrible incident. Yep. Um, you know, Kristen Stewart, who's forging herself a terrific career, she has one great scene, uh, which is the only thing she's got really to do in the movie in terms of any sort of, you know, uh, acting workout. Um, otherwise, it's got a great cast. It's uh, unfortunately they're fighting with a lot of overwritten dialogue and a lot of behavior that sort of like seems to just service the theme more than it does service actual human behavior. So it's trying to make this big grand gesture, but in the end, it's not really going anywhere. So um, you know, I just think that Tim Blake Nelson kind of uh, maybe this. Maybe the, the themes that this movie is working out meant a lot to him, but it just becomes this big, sprawling, existential, incomprehensible thing that he just could not get a handle on. So I think for him as a director, he might have been just take, uh, biting off more than he can chew. Uh, but it does have a good cast, and uh, we do like Tim Blake Nelson. I like him a lot. Yes, you do. All right, Mark, uh, here's the biggie. Let's talk about What's this. The biggie? The Biggie, Midnight Special. I'm a huge fan of Jeff Nichols. I think this guy is the bee's knees. And when I say bee's knees... So yes. so, so let's let's talk about Jeff Nichols for a second, because uh, Jeff Nichols has, has been on the cusp for a while. And I remember we had, we had a Lafka voting meeting uh, some years ago before Bob Kohler up and, and skedaddled to China. He's back now, by the way. You know that, right? Now, uh, well, now so he's back. So is he back in the group? Uh, I guess so. By the way, there's a meeting. I know. I've missed, I missed... I won't be there. I'm not going to be there I'm either. I'm on vacation. I'm not going to be but there. But I've not been to a meeting all year yet. I know. Have you? you? I was when I went to the last one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have to go to one meeting a year in order to, to be vote. Able to vote. Yeah. And it's not my fault. I'm going to be out of the country. It's okay. It's all right. I emailed Stephen and I said I'm going to be out of the country. You? I'm not going to be there either. I'm not going to be there because I don't want to be a part of the discussion that is going to take place. What's going to take place? There's a certain discussion about uh, some. Uh, uh, give, 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 give me, give me the initials. Uh oh, there's a, it's, I can't do that, <laughs> but there's a discussion that's going to take place at this meeting that I don't want to be a part of. Really? 
Oh, that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> wait, anyway. so wait, wait, have a second. This is this is one of those conversations <laughs> that that listener has no. We're off the reservation. Yeah, so yeah. It, did something happen between the last meeting and this meeting? Because uh, I was not at the last meeting. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, I'll I'll explain it to you after the show. Okay. It, it's 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 a very weird trajectory. It, very. Strange I know. Things, I'm looking but, forward to hearing it, but yes. yet I'm not. Anyway. At the same time, I'm not looking forward. Let's to hearing Let's talk it. about Jeff Nichols. Because Who's that? Jeff Nichols. Because Jeff Nichols is an amazing filmmaker. Yes, he and, is. And um, you know, the last the last with the Matthew McConaughey thing. Um, mud, mud, good, good film, good solid film. But it, didn't you feel like it was missing a little bit of that something, that kind of mystical, existential spark that uh, that, that, that? I feel like here's the thing. I take shelter was actually my favorite film of that year. It's an amazing I, movie. And I feel like Mud is the film he would have made before Take Shelter right, as like exactly. trajectory wise. Yes. Not after Take Shelter. So Take Shelter is just this amazing movie that is so provocative and it raises all these really interesting questions. And he seems to have directors when they land that actor who can be their voice, the voice for their their id and their subconscious that can just speak all the things that they need to say in a movie that becomes the conduit for their subconscious. That you then you're it's a gold mine. That's why those actors always those directors and actors always work together. It's like Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Nah, no, it's more <laughs> like like Scorsese and De Niro, um, or or even you know uh, David Lean and any number of actors uh, from from Omar Sharif to uh, okay David Lean and any number of actors blows your theory. Yeah, it's got to be a, a director who's worked okay. with a an actor so for a long time. Uh, you know Woody Allen and everybody. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. When yeah. you when you find that actor, it's like it's like like Fellini and uh, Mastroianni mm-hmm. is probably the best example of that. So don't you think that, that what makes Take Shelter and what makes Midnight Special work is because... Of Michael Shannon. Of Michael Shannon. I love Michael Shannon. Yeah. Very, and yet what's funny with Michael Shannon, and he was so good in 99 Homes, how did he find, how did he manage to find the core of humanity and, and almost make us a little bit sympathetic or understanding of the jerk he played in 99 Homes? Don't know how he did that. Anyway, either. take shelter. He's great in it. He he even plays something I didn't think he could do, which he plays a father figure. Mm-hmm. Right? I never Very thought true. he he was soft enough as a presence to play a He's father figure. It. He's a great but actor. But he does. The the only thing the 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 movie disappointed me a little bit because I felt like it built this. It was building to something, and what it gave me that was disappointing. I'll tell you why it was disappointing. It was too much. I felt like it, you saw. I, I'm trying not to give it away. Yeah. You saw too much of the thing that they were going well, there, to. There should a, have been a smaller. There's. Let, well, we'll we'll just say this. This is the story of a kid who has abilities, and as in E.T. and many other movies of this sort, when that exists, then you become a uh, the object of pursuit, desire, commodities, research, whatever the case may be. Right. So it's it's that trajectory that we've seen in other movies, but Nichols does some really, really interesting stuff with it, and he takes it in directions that I haven't seen anyone else do, and there's a humanity to it that sort of overrides all of the, the genre-ness of these movies, which I don't see anybody else doing, really, except for maybe even Andrew Nichol, who we talked about earlier. Andrew Nichol is one of those guys who can find the humanity in a genre piece, and I think Nichols does it here, too. I do. I, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. I, again, I... I, I I wish the, the 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 wind the wind up was better than the pitch. You know, what, I, I, I for people who maybe wouldn't want to see this, all I can say is it's a bit like an art house star man. Yeah, a little bit. I could. Yeah, well said. By guy on the run. Yeah, 
Who is he? he? Jeff Nichols is becoming the guy that I always wanted Christopher Nolan to be. Let me put it that way. Well, now Nolan's doing a Dunkirk. It's like some eight hundred trillion dollar. That, that, that better, uh, that better, that better deliver. Because if that has like some some BS twisty twisty Shyamalan no, ending, like I'll be really upset. He's British. Why? Why? Why would well, he mess with that story? Because all his his every movie he makes now has some little <gasps> moment at the end, and I don't want that. I don't need the like. <gasps> really, you know, Shyamalan does that. Stop it! I don't. Oh, I, no, Nolan's not the, Shyamalan. Yeah, but seriously, dude. Shyamalan Interstellar. Interstellar. When you get to the moment and you go, oh. Oh, really? That's what I've been sitting here for two and a half hours waiting to get to seriously, with the friggin' with the bookshelf and the thing. Really, the, with the push in the books. That's it. The, really, that's your big payoff. Stop it. Go away. Dunkirk is not going to be like that. I hope not. It's good. I'm, I'm, not. What I'm hoping is, is, you know, here's what I'm hoping. Yeah. It's like you know, Midway or MacArthur, all those old yeah. school war films from back in the day, yeah, okay. like Gregory Peck. All right, fair enough. Okay, so anyway, um, we're going to get to some television here in a moment. But uh, first, I'm going to blow through a few other things. we got three Criterions and a bunch of uh, 4K Ultra HD Blu-rays. Paris Belongs to Us from Criterion. Nice Blu-ray. Great classic Jacques Rivette film. Uh, Absolutely uh, must be on the shelf for anybody who loves their uh, their Jacques Rivette and their French New Wave classics. This is a new 2K digital restoration. Um, The the, the movie's long. I mean, Jacques Rivette makes long movies, we should point out. Um, If you've seen La Belle Noiseuse, it's freaking four hours long. Uh, And it's basically about a guy trying to paint a picture of a nude lady. That's a long stretch for for a for a, a simple story, but it's amazing, and so you have to be ready to sort of make an investment with Jacques Rivette movies. So this is nearly two hours long, um, and the um, the the concept here centers around a group of uh, disenchanted, disillusioned youths, um, youths, youths, and uh, who are kind of held together by the by. A, there's a suicide that brings these people together. Um, and uh, it, is, uh, it is a fascinating look at a particular place and time and milieu of people uh, in, the, uh, in the life of Paris. It's very much, uh, it's very focused on a particular set of concerns that were unique to post-war France. But it is an amazing film. It is really, really beautifully made. And it is one of the most enigmatic of the uh, early kind of uh, new wave films. And then we have uh, Clouds of Sils Maria, which was released on DVD uh, some months ago, and uh, almost immediately people were like, that DVD is crap, we don't like it. And somehow, very quickly, Criterion snatched it up and said, we're going to release it on Blu-ray. And sure enough, here we go, boom, uh, beautiful Blu-ray of Olivia S.A.S.'s Clouds of Sils Maria, which won an extraordinary uh, Cesar Award for Best Actress for Kristen Stewart, which I still can't wrap my head around. First time an American had won it. I know, it's amazing. Of all, and of all the actors, it would be Kristen Stewart? Really? Well, we, we were saying before that I think she's uh, forged an admirable she has. career for herself. Yeah. Uh, I love this film. and I, 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 this, Asaius, I do love his stuff. He's good. Part of me wants to just like think he's just like a Euro douche. Just go away. Yeah, but I just, I just, I like he just keeps a lot. It, he, he's just, he's, he's a machine, and he, he keeps really, making really interesting movies, and he's just got a lot, of, lot to say. Although like, you know what, there's something, that, there's something that happens to Kristen Stewart's character in this movie. Yes, that I'm still like, what? No, I know, I agree. Do, 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 does anybody know? No, I'm um, being purposely vague. Yeah. Well, any, in any case, 
it's very much an Olivier Essayas movie. Uh, it's got a lot to say about showbiz in particular and celebrity and, uh, and all that. Kristen Stewart is very, very good. This is a director-approved edition. Blu-ray, Criterion, fabulous. And then the one we've all been waiting for, because everybody always hates this, because it means, oh, I've got to double dip again. I'm sick and tired of buying Dr. Strangelove over and over and over. How many versions of Dr. Strangelove can they release? I'm so I, sick I, of it. I, I may not buy this, because I have the Stanley Kubrick box set. I know. Uh, I don't know if I need this. Uh, you know what? I'm look. Yeah, I would recommend this just because of the extras, because it is Criterion, because it's Doctor Str- freaking Strange Love, and uh, it is you know uh, it is approved and authorized, and it comes just with gobs and gobs of extras that I've never seen before. Uh, you know, interviews with people who are involved in the film, and I you know from like camera operators, and it's on and on and on. It's just amazing. And uh, short little short documentaries, stuff that I that I was not familiar with. So uh, yeah, there's a ton of new stuff on here, and that's why I would recommend it. The, does the film look better? Honestly, the no, not really, because Kubrick restored the film himself. You know how he restored it, right? You know that whole story when he found out that the original negative couldn't be located. He whips out his pristine print and he sits down, and for like the better part of a year, he creates a brand new negative, one frame at a time by just meticulously photographing, getting his camera out and sitting there and, and, and hooking it up on a rig and photographing each frame of his his perfect pristine... Why not just use his perfect pristine print? Because he wanted to make sure that he was the one that was creating the negative. It's but insane. It's, per- it's like typical... It's one of those typical Kubrick stories. Like, really? With a still with a still camera, you recreate it in one frame at a time. Are you kidding me? But he he was working off. The thing is that if he's working off a pristine print, if he takes a photograph of it, then it's one generation down from a yeah, pristine I, I, print. Look, this is the lore. This is the story. You know, you you, Let me you see that. Yeah. Anyway, this so, by the way is one of my all time favorite movies. It's amazing. It's a masterpiece. It really is. It's great. And Criterion, uh, look, they've knocked out of the park. They yes, always they do. Did. And it's great. I just wish that uh, this was not already part of the uh, I agree. Stanley Kubrick um, collection. I agree. So if you don't have the Stanley Kubrick collection or you're not interested in the Stanley Kubrick collection uh, and you don't buy this, then you should not listen to this podcast anymore because this thing is a masterpiece it and is one amazing. of the all time great films. So, okay, so we got a batch of uh, new 4K Ultra HD uh, titles here, all of which have been released before, except for the one that I'm going to recommend right now, which is absolutely dazzling. Uh, this is, it, it, there are not that many titles out right now, but I got to be honest with you, Fox kills it with the uh, Martian Extended Edition. Uh, the, the Extended Edition is pretty darn amazing. Uh, the, it, it, it's, I don't know if it's significantly better than the theatrical release. I prefer it. It, uh, it's, it's a, it's a richer telling of the story. They should have released this one theatrically. Not quite sure why they didn't, but there you go. Uh, in any case, so, uh, we do have the, now the Martian Extended Edition, 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and, uh, Digital HD on the same disc. So um, if you want to really, really kick your, four, your 4K system into high gear, I guess this is the, uh, this is the one you want to get. Um, the, the rest of these I am middling on. Reese Witherspoon in Wild, which was one of the more disappointing movies last year, uh, does not look like they put a lot of attention into it. I'm not sure what made somebody think that this would be a good movie to release on 4K. I don't see how that really, really wins any admirers to the format. Um, then we've got the Maze Runner. I guess that one is for, you know, uh, the teen set. Although, is that really, is Maze Runner really a big freaking deal? Uh, that, that is, that is not a, uh, a, a TV, 
It's just it's not going to make people buy a new TV. No, it's not. Maze Runner. Hitman Agent Forty Seven. Did no. anybody even buy this on DVD? Why? No, it looks like a video game. It's based on a video game. It's I know. Terrible. I know. Uh, these are the ones. That I don't make know no why sense. they're not. It, it, it makes and no then, sense. What they and think. then uh, this is one that I think they're probably just they're, they're just trying to clean out the stock. Uh, Fantastic Four, which is just one of the. It's just a, an abortion and an abomination and a horrible, horrible film. And they're and they're trying to figure out how to do another one. You realize that? How to keep this cast together? Don't do that. Well, don't do that. I, or just give no. it back to Marvel. Have Marvel just do let it. Let Marvel do it. No, nobody wants to admit that Marvel just knows how to handle all this stuff better than they, than they yes, do. Yes, five minutes of Spider Man in the new Avengers film, whatever it was, the like Captain the, America, yeah. is better was better than like five previous Spider Man films. Totally from Sony. Uh, anyway, Fantastic Four. This feels like like just something they're going to include when you uh, when you buy your 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 4K. No, player. but the thing is that when when you go to Best Buy or wherever to consider buying a 4K player, you think to yourself, yes. I wonder what movies are available in 4K to justify this purchase. And they uh, see Fantastic Four. So Life of Pi. I love this movie. Life of Pi. Love okay. Love so it. the thing here is love Life it. of Pi is it was it was part of the appeal with Life of Pi, and you liked it more than I did. Love it. Part of the appeal with Life of Pi was was the whole 3D thing. Uh, it looks good in 4K. It's a very, very good 4K master. However, I'm not sure that watching it in 4K, I, I alm- I'm almost, even though I'm not a fan of 3D, I'm almost tempted to say, when you see this in 3D on regular Blu-ray, on a, blue, on a 3D like 1080p set, it almost is a truer representation of the film than watching it in 2D on a 4K set, if that makes sense. No, it does. This, this, is, a, this is one of the rare films that should be watched in 3D. It was yeah. created to be watched in 3D. Yeah. Ang Lee won an Oscar for directing this yeah. thing in 3D. Yeah. I, and, and even though Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, earlier this week, he was quoted as saying that they blew it on 3D. Yeah. They they had some good films on 3D, but then everybody rushed in to make money, and the public got turned off. But if you look at a film like Life of Pi, I'm telling you, it's, it's a great film. Again, uh, the, the the whole HDR high dynamic range thing, I just don't know that that substitutes for the 3D effect for which the film was intended. And then the last one um, is, uh, this is interesting, this 20th anniversary edition of Independence Day, ID4, which, of course, uh, why would they release that now? Because the sequel is tanking, and I guess uh, somebody was hoping it wouldn't tank and that it would kick up sales of... People would, that people would go to see the new Independence Day and go, oh, I got to see the first one. What? Wow. It's out on 4K? Oh, I got to buy a brand new TV I mean, and it a makes brand sense new book. Yeah, that they would do that. Yeah. It's, it, that strategy has been implemented for worse films than Independence uh, Day. It looks good. It looks good. 4K. It looks really good. I don't know. I don't know that uh, it it looks that significantly better than the than a regular Blu-ray. But this is a huge hit for its time. Oh, it's fantastic. And I it, love this it's film. It's a fun film, except for Judd Hirsch. It's a fun film. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. There's a brand new documentary on this, a brand new 30-minute documentary that's really, really good. This is about both cuts, theatrical and extended. doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, the one thing that I'm really sorry in watching Independence Day again in 4K, and i got to tell you, you know who really, who, who's the unsung hero of this film in 4K? And, wouldn't, and, and you have to watch it in 4K to really appreciate how amazing his performance is. The dog who jumps out of the tunnel? Uh, no, Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid just rocks. No, no, R- R- Randy Quaid rocks now. There is nothing funnier than Randy Quaid and his wife, like on the run in a camper in Canada, or whatever the hell he's doing to himself. In his underwear, uh, talking about the conspiracy theories with like a nine-day beard uh, on YouTube. He's a nine-month beard. That nine guy's out of his beard. mind. Yeah. I wonder what's going on. And poor Dennis Quaid, whenever he does press events for any of his work, he's always asked about Randy. And he has, it's almost like he has a, a statement. It's like, it's like taking the fifth, you know. Uh, I will not. He, he almost whips out this little card and says, 
Uh, I love my brother very, very much. I, I hope he gets the help he needs. It's, it's funny, like, like how Randy. It's like all he says. It's funny how Dennis Quaid, that guy's ageless. He's like, yeah. he's got to be in his mid to late fifties. Oh, oh and mid to late fifties. Dennis Quaid. Let me see. He's in his sixties. Look it up. Let me see. I'm looking yeah. right now. He's, he's still very handsome. I guarantee you, Dennis Quaid is like is like sixty. Hang on. Guarantee right now. Yeah. Dennis Quaid. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say fifty-eight. Yeah. Uh, yeah Sixty-two. Right. There you go. Told you. I knew it. Crazy. Good looking dude. All right. Uh, Mark, let's uh, let's knock out some TV. Okay. We have Dark Matter, one of those uh, stupid shows that sucks. Yeah. Um, this is uh, based on a graphic novel. It's so bizarre to be based Isn't on a graphic it? novel. Wow. Never happened before. Unbelievable. Um, this film is about this uh, spaceship. They have a crew of about a, uh, half a dozen. And they awaken from hibernation out in space, and they have no idea what the hell they are and who they are and what they're doing and what the whole point is. So they spend season one figuring out what their mission is, who they are. Lots of twists and turns to this thing. Uh, there's a big, big twist that you know promises you know season two excitement, and season two is either airing now or about to air now. Um, so yeah, it's you know I, I find this. To be one of those like like a low budget good looking show, almost like one of those Canadian shows we always make fun of, where like the money is there, but somehow it looks like the retarded uncle of an American show. Um, so yeah, so it's a twisty thing that uh, you know someone like not me. It's okay. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, Workaholic season six. Now uh, this is one of those Comedy Central shows that uh, shows up at like four in the morning and uh, has a cult following. So Workaholics is a bunch of guys and they. They're cubicle drones, yeah. and they drink beer and do crazy things, and there's a lot of weird counterculture humor going on here, and I can appreciate that. So uh, Workaholics, season six, it's a cult thing. How to Get Away with Murder. It's funny how Shonda Rhimes had a moment, and now I feel like that moment's ending. Like I haven't It really ends heard much for all it. of them. It ends for Glenn Larson, for Stephen J. Cannell. But for... she, um, she owned ABC's was it, Thursday night, Yeah. and now I feel like, all right, she, I, you know what she needs to replenish. The one thing that these those guys did, yeah, it's like um, like the CSI guy yeah. and the Law and Order guy, whatever. Yeah. They always replenish, yeah. replenish another one, another one, another. Well, she's got the Law catch. She's got the catch, right? Yeah, I mean, I she's guess. got a few. We'll see what she, happens with that. Got some stuff. Um, anyway, this is um, second season of How to Get Away with Murder. I don't know when season three premieres, but uh, this show has been off the radar. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, it'll get back because uh, it's nice to see like an African American woman. Be like literally own a network night, you know what I mean? With her great program, it is wonderful. Brazilian Isle, six season. I think this thing is done. Uh, the the uh, final season is airing on TNT. Uh, this is one of those TNT shows where two interchangeable cop characters do things, and I don't know who they are, what they do, and I feel like TNT has got to get their act together because all these shows to me feel exactly the same. And I don't care how much you love uh, what's her name and the other one. Uh, who? <laughs> I forgot their names already. But they're, they're interchangeable. Okay, you tell me which one's Rizzoli and which one's Isles. You don't know. Uh, not really, but... One I, is Angie Harmon Angie and the other Harman. is not Angie Harmon. I love Angie Harmon. I, I, well, I, I adore yes. Angie Harmon. Nothing, there's nothing not to like about her. She's but um, anyway, I guess if you're a completist, go for it. But if you're a completist, honestly, yeah. what the hell's wrong with you? Um, long ago show, Two Guys and a Girl. This is a show that put Ryan Reynolds on the map, at least from a TV standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's a really stupid show. It's uh, co-stars Jennifer Westfeld, who I believe was... He co-stars a bunch of people who have not made it. 
<laughs> That's well, wasn't Jennifer it. Westfeld um, John Hamm's girlfriend for a long, uh, long time? You know what? All I know is Ryan. Basically, Ryan Reynolds came out of this show, and everybody else just disappeared. No, but well, I, well, Nathan Fillion's in this thing too. Yeah, they all disappeared. These <laughs> well, people, honestly, if, if you look at the cast of this movie, you're like, hey, Ryan Reynolds and a bunch of people I don't, I, I've never, I've never seen them since. Well, this is the whole series, two guys and a girl yeah. on uh, DVD, and uh, you've got to be really yeah. in love with Ryan Reynolds to check this thing out. Okay, here's a bunch of weird stuff. So there's this three three episode parody thing called Really Weird Tales uh, that was essentially kind of an SCTV deal from 1987. Uh, it's out from Kino Lorber, and it is uh, it is just a really unusual slice of bizarreness with uh, you know Joe Flaherty and Martin Short and John Candy and uh, Catherine O'Hara, and it, it just it's uh, it's very unusual. It's it's like a, it's like basically a Twilight Zone spoof in three episodes. It's very, very peculiar. Um, I'm not sure that it's very good, but it's it's uh, it, it's just if you like SCTV and all those people, you're going to enjoy it. Shark Week. This just I'm why why does this keep happening? Why who watches this? Uh, Jawsome Encounters. Uh, this is 13 episodes of just sh- freaking sharks, and it's none of it. It just it's the same over and over and over, and they. You know, they, they they scare people and they bite cages and they get close-up photography of their teeth and uh, they show you how horrible and evil these animals are. And then you're reminded that there's a Blake Lively movie out and that, that nobody's really improved on Jaws. Uh, Alaskan Bush People, seasons one and two. Welcome to the Wolf Pack. Uh, this is 14 episodes of this very strange show, uh, which just it seems to all grow off of Duck Dynasty and Dirty Jobs and... Uh, Ice Road Truckers and all those things that say, you know what, let's just go see how the uh, the lowest tier of human beings are barely sustaining their lives o- above sustenance level somewhere in the most inclement conditions on the North American continent. Where can we go that life is just a freaking hellstorm? Oh, I know. Let's go and see the Alaskan bush people. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it, you know, there, there's nothing. They're like the Duck Dynasty people, except uh, they don't have any money. That's kind of it, and they live in Alaska, and that's it. They live, they they live otherwise like mountain people did uh, 150 years ago. It's a very strange show. Uh, Tony Braxton, the movie event. Oh my goodness! I don't know who thought this was a good idea. Um, this is uh, directed with with great effort by Vondi Curtis Hall, who I really really like a lot. I've always liked Vondi Curtis Hall. You remember Vondi Curtis Hall in um, in uh, Falling Down? Oh yeah, he played the uh, economically not viable man. That's what he was. Was that his, was that his billing in the credits? That's his billing in the credits. Economically not viable man. He's terrific. Um, Vonnie Curtis Hall he keeps trying to make a make a go as a director, and he winds up with projects like this, which is just a, basically a TV you know biopic about Tony Braxton based on her memoir, which is you know whatever. It's fine. It's uh, nothing great. It, it doesn't uh, you know why is Tony Braxton that big of a, I don't know whatever. But anyway. Uh, a little bit of Canadian money got this thing made, and uh, you know I hope Vondi continues to get projects in the future. I I just uh, I just you know it's it's tough when you get handed stuff like this. But anyway, and then uh, the wonderful Dwayne Johnson, who is uh, probably just about the only. I like him. He's the, charming. Yeah, it's about the only. Re- he's not the Rock anymore. He's Dwayne Johnson now. He's let, let go of the whole Rock thing. He's about the only reason to see Central Intelligence, which I had to review on radio. You know, by the way. I passed. Uh, yeah, you know what? It's all about the chemistry. That's really that's the only reason. To I see don't it. get the whole Kevin Hart thing. I'm just not there. Uh, you know what? He he's fine. He's good. He's funny. He's he's clever. He's amusing. Uh, and Dwayne Johnson is really good, especially with uh, uh, 
in the little bit at the beginning with it with this big prosthetic fat suit. Very, very funny. Uh, but otherwise, just the chemistry. Anyway, this is uh, this is Ballers, the complete first season. Legends don't retire; they reinvent. Uh, this is the uh, HBO original series that he starred in, which is uh, perfectly good, perfectly fine. Um, all about uh, football players trying to sort of work out their place in life and and whatnot. Uh, something that Dwayne Johnson, obviously having a football background, has uh, a great deal of experience in, and uh, he's really good in it. And uh, you know what? It's uh, it's one of those HBO shows where you just think this really shouldn't work. This shouldn't be as good as it is. It shouldn't be sort of as effortlessly dramatic as it is. But somehow it is. And I don't know what HBO's secret is, but they just make these things work. Whatever they do. They're a factory. Although they canceled vinyl, they might be having a little bit of problem. That there. was weird. I did. I mean, they picked it up they and then they canceled it. And yeah, what, has that ever happened before? No, and I have to say, there's a. They, it's almost like the thing we were talking about with Disney and Rogue One, where you feel right. the, you feel the cracks are showing a little bit. Yeah. With HBO, uh, anyway, uh, X Files, the event series, and the event series is another way of saying six episodes, and if you watch it, we'll make more. Um, and I guess they will. Now, did people like this? It's 14 years after the end of the original, and um, you know, if you like the X Files, you'll be so happy to see Mulder and Scully back together that you'll like this too. I, I thought it was fine. There was a bunch of monster ones, a bunch of UFO ones. Um, you know, it, part of me was like, it was nice to see them, but then I felt like their time is over and they really had nothing necessarily interesting to say from a modern standpoint Yeah, in terms of, you know, folding modern issues and modern themes into what they're uh, investigating. But uh, maybe people don't want that. They just want Mulder and Scully to not, not have sex. I suppose. The League is a show that uh, does stuff. It's the final season. People love the show. It's another cult show. It's, um, yeah, although the only one, the, really, uh, I'm not sure which of these guys ever broke out to uh, mainstream success. Really, I don't think any of them. No. Anyway, so The League, you got to love that. Uh, Angie Tribeca, now this is a show, first season, this is ep would by Nancy and Steve, Steve Carell. Uh, this is very much trying to be a new Get Smart. Uh, I have to say that I did laugh. I thought the show was funny. Very hit and miss, very scattershot, but at least it's out there trying some fun, crazy stuff. It's on TBS, so um, I don't know. This thing is coming back, finally. It took mm. a while for them to pick it up, but uh, I don't know whether it's really ever going to really get any traction, but I thought it was funny. Oh, well. And then uh, Major Crimes is a show on uh, TMT, complete fourth season. I have to say that uh, this is a show that I've never heard of until this uh, uh, DVD <laughs> crossed my desk. So right. it's uh, it's a cop show, and TNT does a lot of cop shows. We talked about uh, Rizzoli and Isles a little bit earlier. And uh, what can I say? It's a bunch of it's elite squad of cops. They investigate uh, all sorts of stuff in downtown L.A. It's all gritty, and they work with prosecutors and law enforcement officers and is going through all the details. I just think that these shows have become a dime a dozen. I, I think that they must – like USC Screenwriting School must have like a special – for cop shows? Uh, they must have, like, some special minor for cop shows. Yeah, I guess. Because they crank these things out by the millions. I know. Yeah. All righty. And wrapping out the TV, um, got a few from MHZ Networks. Remember, not Megahertz Networks, MHZ Networks. Got three new titles from them, uh, two different series. Uh, season 5 of Spiral, which uh, is a French series originally called... Engrenage. That's why it's not called uh, Engrenage here, because nobody would know how to pronounce it. Anyway, uh, really, really tough, great, smart, well-written, well-directed uh, French series. i got to be telling you, Mark, I've been watching a little bit of the series Marseille on Netflix with uh, Depardieu, and as someone who used to live in Marseille, 
I do not find it that compelling, I have to admit. It does not really uh, reflect the city that I lived in and that I enjoyed so much. But Spiral is, uh, is pretty great. It's, it's just dark and intense and heavy and brutal and uh, really relentless, um, and, which is unusual for a lot of French shows like that. But, uh, you know, just murder and it's just murky, dark, horrible stuff. Uh, very, very tough, uh, tough going a lot, a lot of the time, but, uh, really good stuff. That's a four disc series, uh, season five of Spiral. And then, uh, French Village seasons two and three, uh, which, this is basically like a, almost Downton Abbey-like show, which is really cool. It's all, it's, it, it can't possibly really last more than about five years. It's all about a French village during, uh, German occupation, World War II. And uh, it adheres very closely to the, the timeline of World War II and what's happening in each, uh, in each year and how it integrates that. And you, it, you see the war reflected in the microcosmic look at the people's lives in this little village is amazing. It's really, really well-researched, well-written, beautifully done. Uh, season 2 takes place in 1941. Season 3 is obviously 1942. So uh, things are going to get very, very interesting very, very soon. If you know all of what, you know, uh, what happens in, in France in each one of these years, once we, once we get to D-Day, it's going to be very, very interesting. So A French Village continues to be a fascinating, fascinating, beautiful, beautiful series. Uh, and thank you, Mega, uh, MHZ, not Megahertz, for all that. And then the last, uh, last three titles, Underground, Season 1 uh, on, uh, from WGN. Got to be honest, Mark, I'm getting sick of slave stories. Mark? Yes. Yes. So am I. I'm getting sick of slave stories. I, I, I really am. It's just too much. Uh, 12 Years a Slave and Django, and now suddenly, you know, we've got a new thing of Roots, and then we've, we've got Birth of a Nation coming out. And uh, Underground is, a, you know, basically about the, the, you know, the Underground Railroad. Um, it's just, uh, I get it. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a smart series. It's a generally pretty well done, but I just, I can't. I can't, I can't, it's just too much. You know, there's an accumulation that you, at a certain point, you just kind of get sick of. And then uh, Maud continues to pop up uh, seasons out. This is Maud, the complete fifth season, the uh, All in the Family spinoff, which uh, starts to run a little bit thin in the fifth season. Um, it, it, it feels as though there just isn't enough to Maud to, to sustain uh, for this many seasons. But uh, anyway, 24 episodes, no extras, fifth season of Maud. And then lastly, the uh, fantastic Richard Boone series, Have Gun, Will Travel, is now out in a complete series box set, 225 episodes, 35 discs. Beautiful, beautiful set. Um, it's, it's heavy. It's, uh, it's a paperweight. It's a brick. But you know what? It is one of the coolest uh, Western series from its era. And uh, it just, it's just great. You know, Gene Roddenberry wrote on this show and a lot of great, great directors from the era, uh, a lot of you know, fantastic guest appearances. It's just it's one of the great shows of the 1960s. It's really cool. And Richard Boone, kind of like the poor man's Charles Bronson, fantastic TV presence. Uh, Have Gun, Will Travel out there and uh, beautiful, loaded up with production notes and, uh, you know, all kinds of cool information, past biographies, not a lot of, you know, no commentaries or anything like that, but a lot of really great kind of information just on the legendary show from the 1960s. There it is, Mark. We're done. Yay! All right, folks. So uh, for those in America, have a great Fourth of July weekend uh, next week. And uh, anybody else who's watching Euro, you know, allez les bleus. We want France to win. Home team, come on! Come on.